0: Well, as David said, I get to fill in for the next couple of weeks, um, and what I would like to do is, after we open up with the word of prayer, is um, what I think this will 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 be by the time we're done is a little bit of a plumb line <laughs> from Genesis 1 all the way out to Revelation 22, Um, but what I really want to try to draw our attention to is some very major points on that plumb line that begin with the creation, the command, the disobedience to that command. And then just the horrendous effects of the fall on humanity, and just how central that was um, to the daily life, and how it constantly pointed to one that was coming, constantly. And you'll see some of that this morning. And then that one came with all the descriptions that Scripture had given us, and he was killed just as scripture said he would be but on the night before that dual-purposed evening and morning our Lord instituted the table that we now partake in so that is the other major landing point Um, so I've kind of captioned it the cup in the kingdom And I think what you'll see is just how inextricably linked these two are throughout the entire ministry of the Lord and the scriptures. So um, let me first ask any of you that enjoy reading, I have put all the text in the document, that's why it feels a little heavy, and I would call on you to just feel free. I'll ask if someone would like to read, and if not, I will, or... um, But first, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time and this privilege and this season that we are in where we can gather together and we can not only look back on the creation and the promised one foretold and reminded of But we can look back on your arrival into humanity and the unfolding of that time. And Lord, we can look back on that cross and know so much more about your blessed work on our behalf. And we can also look forward as the scriptures teach us so diligently, that there comes a kingdom. And it is a glorious kingdom. And so we just want to praise you this morning, settle our minds, and clear our hearts, and concentrate on you and your word and all that it has to teach us. And Lord, we just... Praise you and pray these things in your very precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I want to just start with just reading um, from a text that we're very, very familiar with. Often, when we celebrate the Lord's table, we will go to this text, but I want to draw your attention very carefully to the words um, that reveal so much about what is pregnant in this passage. This passage is incredibly filled with many things. Um, So let me just read it for you, and you see the emphasis I've put in in the text. There on your um, second page, I believe. Luke twenty-two fourteen through 20, and when the hour came, of course, you know, we're in the upper room. Uh, and the humbling of the men has taken place as their pridefulness is continuing to swell. <laughs> the Lord is continuing to show the true way to the kingdom by washing their feet. And Luke, the ever-precise one, gives us this text. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, and I want you to think about this as you read this. How long has Jesus been waiting to have this Passover? Really, ask yourself these questions when you study your scripture. How long has Jesus been waiting To celebrate this Passover. Don't think about it in human terms. (laughs) Think about it in terms of the eternal Son of God who was coming at this point in creation for this Passover. Because that thought just permeates everything else that he's going to say. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So there's an emphasis on this Passover versus all the other ones that have been instituted and celebrated this Passover before I suffer. And then comes verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, there is what I mean by a pregnant verse. Just read that. Look at all that's packed into that verse. I will not eat it until. So where does he point you to? A time in the future. This is transitional, but it is not consummation. It is a transition until it is what? Fulfilled, filled up, completed in the kingdom of God. So whatever he's about to reveal to these men and institute this evening is not going to see its fulfillment this Passover Until the kingdom comes Which means we're in a period of waiting for something much much more Right, which is part of the connection to David's lessons that he's been teaching us throughout He's been kind of taking a microscope and moving us through I'm taken up out of the microscope and kind of moving from end to end, right? And this passage just sets us up for that so beautifully Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And there is the cup. And I want you to concentrate on the cup. Is it one cup? Is it many cups? What is the cup filled with? Ask these questions when you're studying these passages. Like, what is with the cup? And then just go canvas your Bible. Particularly about the cup. Right? And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And then comes verse 18. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So you start to see the picture very quickly when you slow down and read the text that there is an inextricable link between this Passover, a future Passover, and the Kingdom of God, which we learned all about in Ezekiel, didn't we? And that is exactly the imagery the Lord is giving these men, who were constant, along with the rest of Israel, about when is the Kingdom coming? When is the Kingdom coming? When is the Kingdom coming? And you know what? We ought to be asking, when is the Kingdom coming? When is the Kingdom coming? Anticipating it, because it is certain or the Lord is the lunatic that the unbelieving world would describe him to be here because they are inextricably linked. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, pointing right to that cross, which is given for you. And I'll just tell you, this ties directly to this cup. Make that connection. It ties directly to this cup for you. What is that all about, right? And then he instructs us with the transitional period that we're in right now. He says, do this in remembrance of Me. Up until this point, and even to the mystery of these men, the cross was unseen. It was a mystery. It was revolting to Peter. (laughs) It was unbelievable to the rest of the men. And amazingly, it was the desire of the heart of Israel, the cross was, to just crucify this man. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup, pay very close attention, that is poured out for you and me. And anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, this cup is poured out for us. What is this cup and what is it filled with? This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We'll see that imagery pointed to all along. When you think about this text, when you think about this Passover, I want you to think about all the Old Testament saints, however many of them there were, who in the midst of a wicked and sinful Israel, were faithfully, faithfully, Celebrating the Passover with the Lord. So this Passover is a Passover that is the culmination of all those Passovers. Because this, for this age, is the final Passover until it is restarted in the kingdom of God. And heaven, just like these men, are watching this saying, what is this? It is the Lamb. And now is the time for the cross. So I put an outline in there that we're going to begin working our way through. We'll see how far we get this morning. But I want to just take you right back. And what I want to do is kind of begin to draw that plumb line for you. And begin to just show you some touch points that are just Extraordinary. They're extraordinarily clear when you look back at the cross from these texts, okay? So the first heading there, the creator who will also reveal himself to be the promised coming one. Genesis 1, Genesis 3, we see this, this linkage between the creation, the command, the fall, and the promise right there from Genesis 1 to 3, the promise. And I want you to really put that idea of the promise and the line of the promise in your mind and in your heart because it's going to flow right through everything you study in the Old Testament. Is this line of the promise. So we see in Genesis 1, 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then we see this passage in Genesis 3.15 after the fall, where God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, dividing humanity into two (laughs) groups, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, which is a fatal wound, and you shall bruise his heel, which is the cross. And right there, as you will see a glimmer of, is a promise that the Old Testament saints just clung to. When is he coming? When is he coming? Who is he? How is he going to do what he's going to do? But he's coming because he's promised in Genesis 3:15. And what you're going to see is the scriptures beginning to put it's kind of like taking a dim pencil drawing and the Old Testament begins to color it in more and more and more and by the time you get to the Lord's ministry it was a very clear picture. And you see that believer's hope leading to the cross. We've already looked at Genesis 3, 3.15, which seeded it. But look at Genesis 5.28 and 29. Somebody want to read that for us? Well, I'll go ahead and read it. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah. And if you have a Strong's and you can hit that name, you're going to find the meaning rest. Rest from what? (laughs) That was the meaning behind Noah's name. Who was Noah going to become? The man who would minister into and usher in a wiping out of the world. But they named him Rest. You see that in verse 29. And called his name Noah. And look at the anticipation kind of buried in his name. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toil of our hands. This one. Constantly looking for this one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Which one is going to be the one? Right? If you back up to the beginning of chapter 5 of this book of Genesis, you, what do you see? Adam gave birth to gave birth to and then 930 years later he what he died next generation born lived gave birth to died 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 eight times it says any died any died any died any died and he died and then comes Noah and no wonder their longing for rest because what they have now come to realize through the very verbatim words of Adam the garden, and now death. For the wages of sin is death. And that's what they endured. Hardship, hardship, hardship. But what were they looking back to as the cause? Our sin. Our sin, right? Which you could fly off. Now, and realize in the society we're living in, like so many, that the whole desire is to make sin a dirty word and make it go away. When these people knew exactly why life was so difficult. Unbearable. And the desire for the one that would come just grew and grew and grew. Is that, does it not in our lives? <laughs> when life is so hard, does it not make us just... Desire the Lord and his return all the more when we see the sin and the brokenness and just the the effect on our bodies That's what they were saying this one right because Jesus says come to me all you who labor and I will give you what? rest (laughs) And then of course we've already looked at Luke 22 which shows us how this promise Of yet more comes out of the cross and lies ahead of us. But I I want us to look at a couple of the ways that the scriptures so precisely point to the cup and the lamb and the Passover and the sacrifice and the resurrection as you begin to color in with scripture. I won't ask anybody to read this one because it's a long one, but I want to just walk you through Abraham and Isaac and the pointer of a passing over through a substitute, right? They They had to wonder about how God was going to do this. We can look back at the Lord's cross, the lamb on the cross, and we can see precisely how it is manifested in this passage, right? And just prior to this passage, what did Abraham tell the men that were with him and Isaac? I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. And Isaac and I, we're coming back. What is that? That's a faith that we can't even begin to comprehend until we're tested that way the Lord said you're going to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham knew the line of the promise was not going to be broken and that it was coming right through Isaac and he trusted that God was going to raise him from the dead (laughs) that's faith that's the faith of the Old Testament saints who were pointing looking towards the coming one. And they knew there was a line of the promise that he was going to come through, which would be Israel. So you see those connections and why this Passover, that night in Luke 22, is so important. Right? So just listen to the imagery that these words give us. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, who was 14-ish. Imagine that. Don't read this like a, kind of a crazy story. This is a real man with a real son, with a real faith. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. He was here. Or maybe more precise, right? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am again. This beautiful faith. And much like the consequence of our sin is pregnant within our sin, right? We also see that the blessings of our faithfulness are buried right in our faithfulness, right? Just like right here. Here I am, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And at that moment, I'm pretty sure that Abraham filled a very unique relationship with his father in heaven, with one exception. Abraham got to put the knife down. The father crucified the son who willingly and lovingly went in obedience to the father that's the only difference you see here Abraham was tested and put the knife down the father crucified the son his only son Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. And boy, who is that? Caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And you can carry out that imagery. One is us. And one is that ram, that lamb, (laughs) one is the one who deserves, one is the one who took the cup on their behalf, that's what we see, don't you? You see how long God has been telling us what he's going to do and how to know the promised one when he comes, right? Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And Paul, if you go to Galatians 3, 16, will make it very clear that that offspring, when he was writing to the Galatians, was clearly Christ. The offspring, the one, the promised one, of which many would point to and in one way or another manifest elements of. But there is the one, and Paul says all the way back to this revelation to Abraham, it was Christ. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we can thank Abraham and thank the Lord that we, the Gentile, are partakers right along with the Jew. Who believe, right? We're going to get into the Passover a little more next week and some of the construct of that evening for the Jews over the many, 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 many years that it took place. But it is introduced to us as a sign introduced to the Jewish people. That's very important. And that's really what I tried to pull out. You know the, the Passover passage well, but it, in Exodus 12 through, we see, tell all the congregation of Israel, this is for Israel, is it not? This is really key when we start thinking about a Passover that is going to resume in the kingdom. Because it was given to who? Israel. On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then we see this reference to the congregation of Israel again for seven days. No leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that Passover will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, very specific to Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. So you see this pointing to this Passover that involves blood, that involves a passing over of sin for redemption. What does that point to? (laughs) Do Do you see how meticulous we should be with the scriptures today? That's what it teaches me. We should be so meticulous with these scriptures. Because Israel missed all of this. And what's amazing, they missed what comes next. You see the heading, the prophecy of the creator, the promised one, and the Passover substitute, all found in the suffering servant who would drink what I think is a commingled cup. It's a commingled cup. With the fullest expression of the world's hatred and the fullness of the divine wrath of God against the sins of his people. All of it were in that cup that Jesus drank and it is amazingly foretold right here in Isaiah 53. So let's just take those two commingled components of this cup and look at them in Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Describing him, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. And we can add, he had no place to even lay his head. And look at how the world viewed him in verse 3. Here comes the fullness of human hatred. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Jesus talked about this this very same night, right on the heels of this Luke 22 passage where he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, what? Hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of what? My name, says the Lord. Friendship with the world is what to God? Enmity. Because they do not know Him who sent me. And here comes the divine wrath that we are due, that Jesus took, that heals our stripes covers our sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, undeserved peace, pure grace. He did it. And with his wounds we are healed. So you see how this building just comes right to Isaiah 53 and says it all comes right into this one. And it's still pointing to one who was going to come. All the way back to Isaiah. Forward to the Christ's advent. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 10 and 11, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. The firstborn of many what? Brethren. You ever think about that? It's a sweet thought, isn't it? The firstborn of many brethren is our Lord. He shall see his offspring. Right back to Genesis 3.15. Right? Your offspring, his offspring. Here they come. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one who makes all of us righteous even though we are clearly not going to make it through the day righteous, right? My servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear (laughs) their iniquities. And Paul in Romans 5, and what a... Can you just imagine Paul from Saul to writing these words that he wrote? I just can't the haunting of Saul, Stephen, to Paul who gets to write these glorious words. He must have just read what he wrote and just was mesmerized by it. How it brought all that he knew about the Old Testament but didn't know Christ, so it made no sense into perfect clarity. (laughs) Because why? Because he believed on the Lord. And without believing on the Lord, the Old Testament will make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Which is why so many conclude that the God of the Old Testament is an evil, austere, mean God. And he is not. (laughs) So Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the love. We cannot comprehend the sacrificial love of a father that Abraham almost experienced and was headed to faithfully. Since, therefore, we have now been, beautiful word, justified by his blood, much more so we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. The cup. Exactly what it's pointing to the cup we should drink that Christ drank it for us and he drank the divine wrath of God on our behalf but he also drank the hatred of the world and I want you to hang on to that thought because there is a continuing effect that he reveals to the disciples just before that upper room and we'll get to that next week Lord willing but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, do you see your life that way? I do. I can see the atrociousness of my false, self-righteous religion. Humanity in its ugliest form, by the way. Religion. Apart from God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, this Passover lamb. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life more than that. That's a mate. So everything that God did all the way to the cross is glorious and justifies us but Paul says what? There's so much more. Just like the Lord said at the table until it's fulfilled. Until, until. He's pointing to a future and Paul is pointing to that same future where he says more than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received, looking back, reconciliation. And then of course, Second Corinthians 5:21, "For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, shockingly, the righteousness of God. All because of this one who was promised and looked to, longed for, all the way throughout humanity. Right from Adam to Lamech who named his son rest to the the wanting of will the next one, will the next one, will the next one, when will he come, when will he come, when will he come? Because he's going to do something amazing to reverse what took place in the garden. So I'm going to just wade into this very last section. But the book of Malachi and and Zechariah are just amazing. Read them. Read Malachi and then read the 14th chapter of Zechariah and you will see a beautifully compressed picture of what David is unpacking and will take him who knows how long. But I want you to see how many ways God penciled in sharply this one who was coming so that those who believe will see him. And they did, didn't they? Do you see those beautiful Old Testament saints when the Lord was born? Don't they just stir your heart? They were waiting for this one and they knew he was the one in the midst of an entire nation who had no clue and could care less. Go back and read the first few chapters of the Gospels, and you'll see them. Malachi gives us a bit of a pointer to the coming day of the Lord, the messenger, the riding on the donkey, that was prepared both for Israel and the Gentile nations, all represented as God's people, not just the Jews. It was always the plan of God. It was Israel who took the plan of God and the word of God and they took it all in and they buried it for themselves and then turned it into whatever worked for them. And it was supposed to be going out to the nations. And we'll see that very clearly. Malachi one: Behold, I send my messenger, John the Baptist. <laughs> there he is. And he will prepare the way before me, didn't he? Isn't that exactly what he said? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Where was the first place Jesus showed up? In magnitude, the temple. And what did he do? He cleaned it out at the beginning and at the end. This was Malachi 400 years before his arrival. Preparing the people of Israel. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4, 5, 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah. And this really threw him, didn't it? The prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And he did for many... But then you see the others, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And he began that at 70 A.D. And it is coming. Zechariah 9.9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Three days before Jesus taught the Lord's table, he was sitting on that donkey and being praised, Hosanna. Just as the scripture said, 400 years ahead. And here's a glimmer of the future. Zechariah 2.11, And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and that would be us, the church. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The promised one is who we look back on the one that Adam looked to, Eve looked to, all the way through the Old Testament believers. They all look to this one that we get to look back on fully, fully colored in, don't we? So you'll see in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, and we won't be able to get through all this without So we'll pick that up next week. You will see the sequence that that we have already seen in Ezekiel, in Daniel, and in Revelation, right? Zechariah 14, 1 and 2, we'll see the future plundering of Israel. 3 through 5, we'll see the Lord and his holy ones will return and defend Israel. 6 through 11, the Lord will restore Israel and his living water shall flow from her. Remember Ezekiel? Forty-seven, and how much time David spent on the fact that the rivers flow out of Jerusalem. You remember John thirty-seven and thirty-eight. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow what rivers of living water. All the imagery that the last prophet, who was the one, was pointing to. He was pointing to this. Passover an institution of this new covenant and the church and we'll pick that up next week and dive back to that table and into the cups and the kingdom that lies ahead so thank you yes sir
1: yeah